Hello. Well, hello. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Doing pretty well. You got really shut down on this intro music thing. Shut down hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the most like feedback I've ever heard from the audience. <laughs> <laughs> the strongest feedback is don't do that thing. My gosh. Yeah. That's funny. Um, we will not be doing intro music. I just, I'll, I'll say that right now. Fear not. Let's not spin up alternative feeds where we're like editing out our intro music. No need. Yeah. We yes. will not do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Fine. I mean, it's easy. Easier for us. Yeah. Easier for Castos. Exactly. So, exactly. Cool. The cold open stays. Cold open stays. I had a meeting with a lawyer in the last week. Ew. Why? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's like these laws and you have to follow <sighs> them. Technically, it's really annoying. Yeah. This is about like hiring people in foreign countries and obeying various employment laws and ways to deal with this. You know, friction in the gears of progress. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very similar to Rob in this front. I heard him talking about kind of this legal stuff that Tiny Seed has to deal with. And he was was talking about he really enjoys the fact that he's partnered up with Einar on this venture because... I think he characterized it as just like, it's all just friction in the system. It, it's boring work, but it's like, you have to do it. You have to know laws of different countries, but like all of that is just sort of a distraction from the actual job of like building a product and selling it. I hate all that stuff so much. Yeah. I almost didn't attend the meeting because like Stephen and Joel wrote there, but I was like, let me just see what they're saying. And it was, yeah. <laughs> it was what you expected it would be. <laughs> I like our lawyer, actually. He seems pretty pretty good and pragmatic. Um, but just the reality of the things we have to do is like, okay, well, all right. Yeah. Have you guys thought about doing like a, a PEO? Yeah, I think we probably will do that, actually. Okay. Yeah. We, we sort of come to the conclusion like, yeah, we should probably just solve this problem in a more abstract way rather than having to like kind of continually figure out how to do this with each new employee. So Joel is talking to them, to some possible PEOs right now. Yeah. For the listeners, it's just... In summary, like it's an organization that you co-hire your employees with and they take care of like filing with states and stuff so that you don't have to like do all of that legal BS. Yeah, I wish it were just states, but it's also like foreign governments. And con- yeah, and countries. Yeah. <laughs> so right. nation states and U.S. states. <laughs> so, yeah. So fortunately, you know, like capitalism has come up with a solution for this annoyance that we can just throw money at, which is great. So no, I've heard good things about just works. Like I haven't I've. A, a um, to-do item to look into them. Are they global? Oh, uh, actually, I don't know. I don't know that for sure. They may not be. They were recommended offhand and like, looks like a pretty elegant solution in that they have a nicely designed marketing site. <laughs> That's about <laughs> yep. all I know yep. at this point. But, um, yep. and it's like not crazy expensive. It's like $99 per employee or something. And that's like not that much more expensive than Gusto is right now. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've been having a very uh, CEO of a growing company kind of couple weeks. It's like meeting with the lawyer. I ran an all hands recently. Mm-hmm. And then I have been doing a lot of sourcing of candidates for our head of marketing and Linux position. Mm. How's that coming along? The, the marketing? Well, it's coming along. We're trying some things. So of course, we're trying to like reach out within my network of like people I know that have marketing experience, like Len, who we had on the show a while ago. Um, and Corey Haynes and things like that to try to get referrals. Those are, of course, great. But each of those has a pretty low success rate, you know, 
It's like you really need to catch somebody like right when they're open to it. So I've also been sending like a good amount of cold DMs to people. So I had this idea of like looking at who follows marketers that I think are good or people that they follow and like kind of like just like look at people's bios and be like, oh, this person seems good. And kind of using Twitter kind of like LinkedIn, just reaching out to people just, just, hey, any chance you might be open to something like this? Uh, I've been getting some, a lot of no's, but also like occasional like, yeah, why don't we talk? It's like sales, I think. <laughs> it's like a lot of failure, mostly no, but it's not a 0% of, of moving each person to the next stage of the funnel. So if I just do enough of it. There's just a whole ground strategy there. <laughs> takes a lot of effort though. It does take a lot of effort. I hired a recruiter for the Linux position just to see, like get a data point on that and see how well they can supply us with a niche kind of developer position. Yeah. So we'll see if that turns into anything. I'm sort of hoping that we will stick to our rough strategy of like, we want to hire occasionally and hire really great people so we can have fewer of them. One of the benefits of that will be that like my job is not full-time DMing people and trying to get them to come work for us because it's not that fun. Yeah. Until you get to the scale where you can hire like a, a head recruiter, <laughs> you know, who can then own that whole entire initial process at least. I think if we keep hiring at a kind of clip, which I don't expect to, but if we sort of just said, hey, this this works every time we plug a new person in here, this gets better. I would probably want to try to find someone like that. Yeah, because I think oftentimes like a VC backed startup that has some traction will will hire an in-house recruiting team, but it seems like you have to be doing enough hiring for it to kind of dollars and cents wise make sense to do that. Right. Which probably won't. You know, this whole like outsourced recruiting thing is like it's a whole business. Yep. That's that's why it exists. I've gotten a couple of recommendations for agencies to, to look into that I'd like to try working with because it's like okay, it's it's annoying, but if you can throw thirty grand at this problem, then someone will do it for you. So when you're like working on these types of CEO level problems, are you like waking up in the morning feeling like jazzed to do those tasks? No, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Okay. I mean, it's easier yeah. because like Steve and I have been pairing on it. So it's, you know, it's more fun than if I were just slogging through it by myself, like a lot more fun. And like we kind of split up some of the stuff. Like I asked him to kind of like just scroll through somebody's followers and like pick out the people you think are worth reaching out to. And then he'll like draft a DM and like I'll send the DM kind of like edit it up and like send it out. It's, it's made better by that, but no, it's not like, it's not my joy. I'm trying to focus on the end result and how good that can be. Just adding the right person is just amazing. So it's worth the pain. Are you thinking of this as sort of like a, it's a temporary season of slogging through some things that are not particularly enjoyable, but like you will eventually get back to tasks that you find enjoyable on a regular cadence? Or do you feel like this is going to kind of perpetually be like, there's another CEO level thing to do that is not your joy? Yeah. I'm sort of hoping that we're kind of doing a, a bit of a hiring push right now for like the next couple months and then it will slow down. I wrote up a hiring plan for the next year and it it's front loaded. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get a lot of it done now-ish and then we'll slow down and, and have, to have to do less of it. But if the business keeps growing and there keeps being more opportunity and, and also crucially, like if adding more people to the team keeps really moving the needle on the business, which I feel like for the right person, it kind of always does it sort of feels like i'm probably going to be like lightly hiring all the time so i could see it being a thing where it's kind of just like yeah on wednesdays we just always source candidates or something every like person you reach out to you just have almost no chance of actually recruiting them because so many things need to be correct yeah timing stars have to align <laughs> yeah and so i think the real move is 
just like kind of staying lightly in touch with like the best hundred people I would love to work with. Yeah. And checking in every so often. And so it's like, okay, I just like send out my like, you know, check in emails or DMs, you know, on one day a week or something. And, and every so often one of those candidates is like, hey, you know what? That aligns anecdotally with my with what I hear when people talk about like landing at a company they usually have been sort of flirting with them for a while, you know, like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we met a couple of years ago and then we stayed in touch and we randomly exchanged messages here and there. And lo and behold, two years later, now I work for them. <laughs> so, so it is a long con for a lot of these, uh, especially high leverage positions, I think where, you know, yeah, I have a couple of people I'm like lightly recruiting and have been for a while you know, like my top five, it's like, okay, if, if I could name like the best people I think in the world at these things, like who, who would I want? Maybe one day one of them will work out and I'll be like, damn, that was worth it. Cause this person is incredible. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, I would like to spend more of my time doing things that are more fun. I'm excited for, um, our designer to start in March so I can, there'll be like more like designs, like more, more, more product stuff and more design stuff to look at and review, like, which I find very fun. Do you have a clear sense in your head of like, these are the things, parts of my job that I would love to spend most of my time on? Like, I consider these fun and like, I'm going to optimize for these things in the new year. Or like, is that part of your planning process? That's a good question. I, it is not, has not been part of my planning process. It's a good thing to think about. I should probably do a, like an audit or something of that. Because I've mostly been sort of planning around like, what are our ambitions? Like, what sounds exciting and interesting? And, but like, what sort of lifestyle at work do we want to lead? And what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Right. It's a tricky balance to strike because, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense to to kind of orient around what your ambitions are, what the outcomes you want to be from the business. But, you know, could also end up in a place where, like, I hate my job. We're hitting our targets, but I hate my job. Definitely. <laughs> you know? And I, I know folks in that position. And it's it's tricky because, like, so I feel like Tupelo is in a good position and we have there's sort of more opportunity out in front of us. And the time is good right now. It feels like, well, taking advantage of a lot of the opportunity feels important um, because it's not necessarily going to remain true. And so I'm sort of optimizing for tuple growth over my personal happiness right now, I would say. But over the long term, sticking with working on tuple requires optimizing for happiness. So it's like, do I, like, what's the, when do I like zig and when do I zag? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's really easy to accidentally build yourself a job you hate. Yes. I think that's probably like the default in like running a company mm-hmm. is because like at the end of the day, it's like, well, someone has to do these things and it's hard to not chase growth. It's hard to say no to opportunity. It's hard to say no to someone awesome joining the team, even though it increases the complexity of managing them and the communication and all that. I feel like if you don't really try, you will accidentally make a job you hate. Yeah. It's like building certain complicated things for customers. It's like, okay, like if we, if we never give them this thing they want, they're probably going to be kind of always dissatisfied with the product and like some number of them will leave. It's like, that's like detrimental to the business. But if building that thing also makes our job measurably worse, then well, that kind of sucks too. I feel like Jason Cohen is one who's navigated this pretty well, where he kind of figures out when to relinquish control of a certain area of the business so that one, it'll be like, it'll better serve the business. Like maybe the, the role, someone is better suited for those types of tasks and they really derive joy out of those tasks where for him it would have been a slog. I guess keeping a low ego about it because I think that's a lot of pe- founders like stay at the helm of certain initiatives just because it's like, well, I'm the, because I'm the boss and I run this thing. That's definitely a trap that I don't want to fall into of like 
holding on too tightly under control of things that, you know, if I had just released that to someone else, I would be happier. They love it. The business would be better served, you know? Yeah. That has already helped, I would say. Like having great people take over things has definitely like, like makes my stress levels about them go down for sure. I just pulled up a post that Jason Cohen made. Now he made this back in 2011, so maybe it's not totally, he doesn't still agree with this, but he says, this is this title is 10 things I've never heard a successful startup founder say. <laughs> okay. Interesting. And number, number two is after hiring a few people, being the CEO became a lot easier and I was able to focus on high level strategic plans instead of fighting fires. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe the CEO job never gets easier, you know? So it's like, ultimately, he replaced himself as the CEO, right? That's kind of what, that was one way he sidestepped that. Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, and because of that, I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about this because I felt like a little stressed the last couple of days. And I think a key thing I need to like kind of do and think about and remember is that your expectations or what stresses you out, like just changes to match the situation you're in. Like the last couple of days, I've just been felt kind of like, eh, about certain things and in the business. But like our growth rate and revenue level and customer count and usage things, it's like, there are just so many people that would kill for these, like to be where we are. The thing that's like my dominant feeling is not the gratitude uh, for the success we've had so far. It's a focus on, well, there's this problem over here and this thing is really stressful and I'm, I'm managing this thing over here too. And I think I've been trying to like think like, oh, well, I need to just tackle all these to-dos and like get processes in place and hire people to do this stuff. And then like the, then it'll all be like calm and good. But I kind of feel like it's like, well, I'm probably just going to have new problems to stress about. And then like the additional success and the additional growth isn't going to mitigate that because it just becomes normal and natural as soon as it happens. And the, and the stress fires kind of just continue to burn. Like there continues to be new things there. So the thing that needs work here, I think, is actually just like my, my brain. Mm-hmm. It's like my own expectations and mm-hmm. my own response to the, to the stressors. Yes, 100% agree. I'm experiencing kind of similar, similar sort of like low-grade anxiety that, that or just stress, not really anxiety, but just sort of stress that is not totally rational, you know, but... I think this is kind of the plight of the founder. Like I'm, I'm looking at metrics and like metrics look good, but like start of December has been rough because I think like it was a bad Thanksgiving week was like really bad for trials. So then like gets its major dip on the curve in the following week. And then like conversions have dropped a little bit because I think people are just more distracted, like not really wanting to spend money on productivity tools in December. So like just like some leading indicators still look fine. Other metrics at the current moment don't look great. I'm always kind of waiting, like, when is this kind of consistency? We have a lot of consistent metrics right now that have been holding strong or improving for the last, you know, last quarter or two quarters. And it's like, when is this going to end? When are we going to like suddenly like trial conversion rates are going to plummet, churn's going to go way up and and then we're going to hit a plateau. And then now it's like, all right, now now we're dealing with a with a major fire. And I still don't have any indicator that that's happening imminently, but also like it could happen, you know, at any like span of a couple of weeks, things could shift. These things happen. And like, I think it's, I kind of live in a constant state of feel like I'm looking over my shoulder, waiting for that plateau to come or something. And yeah, that definitely just feels like a brain hacking bug more than anything, because we're just making consistent progress on a lot of fronts and it's a slow march in a lot of areas. And the sum total of those things are leading to you know, pretty consistent metrics, I think. And so I need to remember that and then just be willing to like 
Except the fact that, yeah, if the plateau comes, we'll, we'll problem solve it. We'll figure it out. Don't stress about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like part of what makes it difficult is like there's no steady state you can just decide to, to drop into. There's too much entropy. There's too much other stuff going on. It's like even where we're at with the team size and the revenue and the growth, it's like it still feels like slightly tenuous. It's like, well, like something could, something could change. There's some external thing, some internal thing. It feels like you can't make it at least in my brain, it's impossible to just be like, okay, and now like my worries about the future of the business are, are allayed and yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. proceed forward with just clear mind. Yep. I don't know if you can really get there. No, no. And I was thinking about the fact that SaaS is, I mean, yeah, so many, so many different entrepreneurs in different industries would kill for the, like the kind of consistency that we can achieve with, with our businesses. Like even if we were to stop putting effort in like, SaaS businesses die very slowly. The MRR doesn't go away instantly unless you have some major disruption like a platform risk thing that where they just make your app not work at all. Generally, <laughs> things will just sort of taper off slowly. I was thinking about like restaurants, you know, like it's currently snowing outside right now. And so like literally just a blizzard could cause a restaurant to be fully staffed up and then suddenly have zero customers one night and they lose thousands of dollars. And it must be really stressful being in that industry, and we don't we don't generally have those same types of fluctuations and risks that, that come with our software companies. And yet, they still it still feels fragile to me, uh, which is just kind of interesting. <laughs> I'm very glad I don't run a restaurant. That seems like a, a very rough business for sure. I think having talked to a bunch of people, many of whom are more successful in business than I have been, it doesn't seem like this this goes away. And so, I think the key is. Recognizing that like the kind of the only thing you can do, I think, is manage your response to it. That there will just always be problems. There's always some metric on the dashboard that's upsetting. They're never all going up at once, at least in my <laughs> so for, for me. Uh, and like when they're all looking pretty good, there's still, you know, customers having problems. We're dropping the ball on certain things. You know, I wish this thing had come out faster. I wish we could ship this. There's just too much complexity and entropy out there to like you're never gonna like, get it fully under control. And so it's always gonna be kind of stressful. And so you got to have a different strategy other than just like be stressed all the time. I think otherwise we just burn out and like have to have to get out of it. I don't want to live in that state. So let's meditate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With that being said, <laughs> <laughs> kind of not joking. I feel like that's kind of r- like the right idea, actually. Yeah. 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 Dealing with with how your own brain processes this this state of being in, at the helm of a SaaS company, you know, like it is very internal. I do think it helps to have people to talk to people to commiserate with that has been definitely useful for me like going to conferences and having a couple like you know text message threads with a few different founders being in a couple groups with people is like nice to just see like okay this is not a unique experience i'm having yeah yep now i feel like i need constant reminder of that because you can quickly forget like go a couple weeks without like commiserating with other founders and yeah it's it becomes a lonely place i think (laughs) There can be problems and it can be okay. Mm-hmm. Like these things coexist. Like we got an interesting email from one of our advisors a couple of days ago where I, I wrote up, I sort of summarized the year and talked about our next year's plans. I sent some metrics in that. And like he sort of seized on one of them and was like, whoa, this metric, this is scary. This is bad. You need to devote a ton of effort into fixing this metric. And then wrote like, PS, like when can I invest? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, like my, my inclination is like, Oh man, he's right. Freak out about the metric. This is a problem. Ah, what are we going to do? His sort of more holistic outside view 
is like, yeah, that's a problem. You should fix it. And like, when you do, that'll be good. Also, like the overall prospects of the company are good and I'm interested in being involved. Yeah. Yeah. I think that attitude of like focusing on the problems kind of mostly serves us while running companies. Like it's like kind of the right default-ish stance, I think. It's like you have to care about the problems. Like you're trying to make something great. So you got to fix the problems. But if you wallow in the problems or think like, oh my God, this problem is bad. We'll have this problem forever. I can't do anything about it. Like then you start to get like a a really bad. It's kind of like having, having the healthy amount of stress about certain things. I remember this was even earlier on when I was trying to figure out, you know, what I'm doing with my business before I really had latched onto Savvy Cal as the product. And I remember having these conversations with well-intentioned people who would say, you know, oh, Derek, you're, you're, you're smart. You know what you're doing. You'll figure this out. Like I have total confidence in you, like as a, as a way to try to help, you know, communicate to me, like you shouldn't be so stressed. And my response was kind of like, the only way I'm going to figure this out is by sweating about this, by, by being somewhat stressed about this, because if I'm not, then nothing happens. It's going through this grueling process that involves me being stressed that I'm going to arrive at something. I have to hustle for it. I have to be ambitious about it and be clever about it. And that takes a lot out of me and it is stressful, but like, that's the only way that results happen sometimes, you know? So yeah, I shouldn't be toxically stressed. Like it should be within, within reason, but also like, no, I have to be under a certain amount of stress in order for the, the quote unquote magic to happen, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I think a a part of the thing is here for me is that it's the hedonic adaptation and then like the fear of loss where it's like if the business doesn't grow and throw off more profit, like why is that super bad? Well, because I I want it to. I want more. (laughs) I want like a bigger, brighter future. I want exciting things to happen. I want new stuff to happen. It's like if you wanted to optimize for calm or like, yeah, contentment or something, you could just say, well, once we hit a certain revenue level, we're only going to do the fun stuff, you know, or like we're we're, going to like, we're going to completely optimize for like the happiness of the people that work here. Um, Even though we know it will probably not help, like be the, not be the optimal thing for the business. And that would be a reasonable way to do it. But the thing you're fighting is like, well, I'm used to this revenue level. I'm used to us making this much money and like for it to like stay the same or get like go down. Oh my God. Imagine if it went down and like, even though it's like Tuple is a very profitable company, like it's we're we're doing really well and like, it's great, but it's like, Oh, well, if it, it imagine if like next year we shrunk by 10%, it'd be like, Oh, it feels awful. It's like, well, aren't you still like doing really, really well? Like, yeah, totally. Like wouldn't almost any of your like friends want to trade places for that? That's this terrible fate you're going through. Like possibly. Yeah. I think it's a lot of it's just like getting attached to, to like the monetary side to the the success side like and just being like well this can never go down it can only go up and it needs to keep going up otherwise it's not good yeah and knowing what game are you playing what are you optimizing for you know like if being in business being an entrepreneur you know some for some people it is lifestyle it's like to to get enough revenue in the door so that i don't have to th- work on this thing and i think i've realized after kind of studying the sort of the the people who go really deep into lifestyle and like the the kind of digital nomad types who are like no I'm going to I'm going to bring in enough revenue and move to a really low cost of living place so then I can just surf all the time or something you know I think for me I've realized like I would be I would not be happy doing that because 
it's not the game I want to play and it feels I would be stressed all the time, like, because I'm abandoning the thing that I've gotten up to a meager state just so I can go and not think about it. Like I actually found that I really enjoy building the the company side thing. That's actually where I derive my joy from. Yes. I like, I have my hobbies too, but I don't want to just do the hobbies all the time. I, I derive a ton of joy out of like seeing the business grow and flourish and that's totally okay. I, you know, there's no right answer. I don't think it really just, depends on who you are and what your motivations are yeah i think that's a good thing to keep in mind it's like the, the stress is the cost of of choosing that path but that path is 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 fine it's a totally reasonable path to choose yeah i think i might be kind of romanticizing this idea of like well what if you just optimize for your happiness all the time but like is that actually good <laughs> like does, yeah. does, does that really result in a life that you feel great about yeah yeah i don't think so it depends what it looks i mean yeah it depends on a lot of things mm-hmm Similar to how optimizing for like an easy job is not not the right thing either. Like if you have a day where like nothing eventful happens, you kind of come away from it feeling like like I was sort if you were like semi bored all day long and there were no there were no stressors on you, there was no challenges to solve. Like that's kind of a crappy day <laughs> in my mind. Like the good days are where you like you sink into a problem and you you reach kind of the point of despair a little bit with it and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this? And then you solve it that's fulfilling, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. And the stress is the cost, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the, it's a, yeah. It's a byproduct that you need to try to manage and keep within a healthy range. I think it's just a healthy range for it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Just enough stress. Yeah. A little story sort of related to these things as I've been thinking Ooh. about 2022. So I had an interaction this week. So we have an integration with fast mail. who's like a, privacy-centric email and calendar hosting service. And SavvyCal integrates with them. And we started to get a couple couple bug reports from people who had integrated FastMail with their SavvyCal account saying that their recurring events were not showing up properly or not blocking their availability properly. And I looked into it and was able to reproduce it. And it seemed kind of strange to me. And we use CalDAV to, to integrate with FastMail. And it's kind of a... It's there's a large spec on this protocol and I don't feel like I fully understand all the nuances of it. And so I was kind of like went down the rabbit hole for a while looking at the spec closely, seeing is it something we're doing that's causing these recurring events to not be queried properly and banging my head against the wall for a little while. Couldn't figure it out. And I was like, okay, what do I do next here? I could send a support email to just the general like fast mail support inbox. But this is sort of not like sort of not like a support ticket from a customer. Like this is more like a technical integrator type of question. So I was trying to figure out the right path. And someone had introduced me a few months back to um, the CEO of FastMail because we were launching an integration and, and it was kind of like, hey, I see you integrated with them. I, I know the CEO. He's very nice. You guys should meet each other and talk about, you know, potential like partnership opportunities or whatever. And we had we'd had a very friendly, pleasant exchange back then. So I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just shoot him a quick email and see if he can point me in the right direction. Like, I'm not asking for direct support from him on this, but like ping somebody or just tell me to send it to the support queue if that's the right place, like whatever. So I sent him an email and like literally five minutes later, he responds back like, hey, thanks so much. Um, I've CC'd four people from our team who one of them could probably help out with this and, you know, feel free to send along any more information. And so I was impressed. And then 
like two minutes after that, one of the people chimed in with like very smart, specific questions to try to get to the bottom of what I was talking about. And then we, we went back and forth a little bit, sort of rapid fire over email. And then like three hours later, he responded back and was like, ah, we, we figured out what the problem is. We're going to try to see what we can do about patching this holiday season might be interfering with our with our timeline. And I was like, totally understand the customer impacts pretty high for me. So like I would really like to see something shipped. And he was like, yeah, let me see what I can do. And then hours after that, the CEO emails back and says, like, turns out it was a simple fix. We were we were able to push push fix for this. So this was a very fast um, interaction. And it just got me kind of thinking about my own my own cadence of, of working and how I deal with like external messaging coming my way. So, so people email me pretty often. Sometimes it's just asking for help or asking questions about something. I'll just occasionally get like people from the industry just wanting to like chat, like, Hey, I, I like what you're doing with Savvy Cal. would love to like meet you. Um, can we like hop on a call? And a lot of times these types of interactions, cause me to feel annoyed or something like someone's wanting to 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 make a claim on my time and and after this interaction kind of got me thinking like I think that's kind of a bug to to be so highly optimized with my time where I feel like I don't have any time for for interfacing with people outside of the company or industry partners or whatever like those serendipitous interactions that can occur just by like yeah you're doing something cool I'm doing something cool let's chat and just meet each other and network a little bit. I don't know. I'm starting to realize that like it's it's good to to be optimized, optimize your calendar, optimize your schedule for productivity and my my maker schedule is very optimized. But I think it's a little bit of a bug in my company operating system if <laughs> if like that doesn't leave any room for me to be you know, just be helpful or be uh, willing to to spend some time with people even though it doesn't have like a direct productive benefit in the meantime. So just something I've been thinking about. Yeah. That sounds right to me. Like, I think it's, it's good to guard your time, I think. But it's also can be tough to predict when a new relationship will pay off or how much. I had a random internet friend that somehow I like met through Twitter. And then like, we like kind of liked each other. So eventually we did like started doing like a call. And then we like would chat like once a month. And then I was going to microconf. And he was like, oh, hey, by the way... Uh, this friend of mine is going to microconf. You should totally meet him while you're there. His name is Adam Wathen. It's like this random person connected me to Adam, who I've now you know been friends with for a long time, and like has just been a great person to know. And it came out of that like random initial connection that was, you know, never would have guessed how these things would connect to each other. So yeah, I like that. I mean, like leaving a little room for serendipity, like being open to like, hey, you know, this this might just turn to be something great in a way I can't predict. Kudos to the CEO of Fastmail. He has done his. He's architected his job in such a way where like an email from a random email from me lands in his inbox and he feels like he has the capacity to be able to just like respond quickly, copy in the right people and just make stuff happen. Like and yeah, that that feels good. That feels optimal to me, which is why I'm, I'm excited to be. I can say that I'm making progress on um, getting help on the engineering side. Like things are things are moving on that. And I think I'm really excited for that, especially because I want to move more towards this having a little more slack in my in my system, you know, for, for being able to have these random interactions. 
Yeah, I could see how having a company of more than one person might make sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there might be there might be a reason to have kind of a team. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, like the thing that I, I like is notable to me is not just that like the CEO had space, but also like he probably had that space because he had the team to send it to. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like if if he were doing writing all the code for the business or whatever, like there's then probably your request gets thrown to the bottom because it's like, well, I can't spend time on this guy's thing. Yeah. And that's where like, you know, when you're young and, and early, like there's a benefit to, you know, your first customer is being able to interface directly with the founder. There's, you know, they have a lot of kind of natural sway over the direction of the product because, you know, if we, if you only have a handful of customers, like this is, these are the people that you're listening to. So there's like value to the customer in that. But I think there, you can reach a point where, you know, the founder can get so overtaxed that like it's actually now becomes difficult to provide really good service to customers because I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so at my limit on, on, um, capacity. And so I think this, this is, it just feels like the right timing on all fronts for me to be, you know, increasing our capacity a bit. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're going to be, I think 10 people pretty soon. Oh man. Nice. Which is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so our capacity has increased. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's really fun to see it's crazy to see things get done that I didn't know were happening. Yeah. <laughs> that feels like a new milestone. Yeah. It's not just like things are happening that I didn't do, but things are happening that I didn't even have any, I didn't even know were happening in the first place. And it's like, wow, that's kind of amazing. And the nice thing is like, because we hired really good people, they're doing a great job with it. It's like when I, when I notice it after the fact, I'm like, oh yeah, that seems smart and good. And wow, nice job on this thing. And that's, that's awesome. Great to see. So that's, that's really cool. I can only imagine how much like Patrick Collison, like, you know, thousands of engineers working at Stripe. There's probably stuff getting built and shipped all the time that he had no idea about. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, yeah. I wonder the degree to which that, that happens. Mm-hmm. That's got to be on the extreme end of that though. Yeah. If you're hiring that fast and doing that many things. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody could really keep track of all of it. No. Uh, one last thing before we wrap. We would love to find someone to make us some Twitter audiograms. So one of our goals for growing the show next year is, or one of our sort of plans to grow the show is to have those little like uh, subtitled descripty style audiogram things that happen with like interesting excerpts from the shows. Um, so if you are a fan of the podcast slash want to do some of this uh, work, like we'd love to have someone that can just do the whole thing. Like listen to the episode, know it well enough to understand like, hey, these are kind of like the cool, the cool moments from this one, pull out a couple edit them up so that it has yeah, kind of like that nice little video with the subtitles and tweet them out. Uh, and we would love to pay someone to do that for us. So we can just DM me if you want r 0 k Anything else on that? Uh, no, that, that captures it. Cool. Okay. Shall we wrap? Let's wrap. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. See you later. See ya.